Good morning, good day, good evening, good night, whatever time it is you're joining us again for another podcast episode of All Things First Aid. I'm your host, Jay. Uh, I'm recording this in January of 2022. Uh, It's been a couple of months since my last recordings. I had some personal uh, matters to attend to, Uh, then the holidays, and some more personal matters to attend to. And needless to say, it's been, uh, this episode's been a long time coming. So for today's episode, I want to review primary and secondary survey, um, and specifically focusing in on sample OPQRCT and uh, a few other items that have uh, been of interest to me lately. So without further ado... Let's get started. Um, As per um, a few requests from last year, uh, these podcasts will not have any music in the background, and there was no way for me to adjust the volume uh, through uh, the app program that I'm using with Anchor. So um, it's just me. All right, so to begin... At the beginning, uh, just as a refresher review, for those who are new to the channel, to the podcast, uh, I thank you. For those who have been listening and uh, from from day one or day two, I appreciate your continued support. This podcast is a labor of love. It's a passion of mine. Uh, I do not make any money off this podcast. It's, it's a hobby, so to speak. Um, any references made to specific brand names or uh, brands are not endorsements or nor are they paid endorsements so I try to stick with uh, generic uh, names for dressings or for uh, medical devices so I don't want to be perceived as being uh, endorsing or being endorsed by any particular company or brand so at the beginning I was teaching a first aid course over the weekend, and uh, whether it's basic or advanced first aid, we always do the same thing. We always want to check to make sure that the scene is safe before we approach. Uh, So I picked up this little quick little reminder of what to do in what order from the internet. Uh, The internet is a great source of information if you know where to look and you know what the sources are reputable. so Dr. ABC, Dr. stands for dangers, and R, responsiveness, and then the ABCs are airway, breathing, circulation. So dangers, always check the scene. And you're not just checking the scene for dangers. You're, you're looking for possible mechanism of injury. You're looking for uh, if there's more than one injured person. Are there other available resources uh, that you can avail of? How far is uh, EMS or other uh, advanced care providers uh, available, how far is their travel. If you're in a rural or uh, remote setting, uh, things like that. So when I teach uh, a regular standard first aid course or even an advanced uh, first responder course, most of these courses are geared towards what I call urban or suburban first aid. So you're in a uh, located in a place where you may 
have 999 or 911 or whatever your local emergency number is and their response time is generally within you know 15 to 30 minutes depending on your location and, and such other situations uh, so I call that urban or suburban first aid where a hospital is with well within an hour's drive of you know from your area so we want to check the scene and also before you check the scene are you prepared you know are you prepared by having a first aid kit in your car or a first aid kit uh, at work or at home uh, I did a podcast on first aid kits last year by all means if you want to go back and find that uh, like I said at the beginning I'm not endorsing any particular brand in fact uh, my first aid kit in my vehicle yes it's very well stocked because of the, the training and experience I have uh, but that being said a lot of it is just stuff I've collected over the years some new uh, not everything has to be pristine uh, a great example would be triangular bandages they can just be uh, a set of sheets that have been cut in the right uh, dimensions and so they, there's you know those kind of pieces of equipment do not need to be sterile anything that comes into contact with the skin preferably sterile if not uh, you know clean so check in the scene check the scene for dangers check this uh, preparedness before you even get out anywhere gloves cannot mention this enough make sure you have a lot of gloves in your first aid kit uh, as I tell my students, one or two pairs is not going to really do you in an emergency situation. Um, so we've checked the scene is either safe or not safe. If it's not safe, then don't do, don't go in there. Your your safety is utmost important. Uh, and if you get hurt, who's going to take care of you? So just think of it that way. Um, it. TV is a great entertainment tool, but it's not to be used as a, oh, look what they did on TV. Let me let me emulate that. No, that's, uh, uh, some TV shows have warnings. Do not imitate or duplicate what you see on TV. You may get injured or, or killed. So, um, so we check for dangers. Make sure this, this scene is safe. We check for response. Okay, that's generally by tapping on their shoulders and, and shouting at, at them. Uh, this can be started before you even touch the casualty. Uh, I, I try to impress to my class, um, approach from the feet if all possible. That way, if they are semi-conscious or if they've had a head injury, they're not twisting their head uh, to see who is coming or see who is talking to them. So, uh, you can you're starting your assessment way before you get at their shoulder so, uh, so we check for response and when we're checking for response we are looking for four basic uh, types of response you have alert so they're responsive they look at you they appropriate questions appropriate answers or they respond uh, with verbal so you call out their name um, and then they look at you and, and maybe have a verbal response to you. Then there's P uh, for physical touch. I know that most of our books say painful stimuli, but I try to impress on our on my class that we don't invoke pain. Uh, that's not our job. 
we want to elicit a, a response by physical touch, so tapping them. And then there's completely unresponsive. So uh, those are your, t your four basic types of response. And um, I'm not going to get into the Glasgow Coma Scale on today's episode, but that will be covered later down the road. Uh, so we have response. And then we're checking for uh, airway breathing and circulation. So depending on your level of training, uh, some of this may be different. Some of this may be a refresher. If we do not suspect head or spine injury, uh, we will do a head tilt chin lift. So that's, uh, let's, let's say that you're kneeling on their left side, okay? Um, so that you're at their left shoulder, their left arm. So you've tapped them on their left shoulder, you've tapped them on their right shoulder, um, there's no response. So we're checking for air opening the airway. So your right hand, that's the one closest to the top of the head, that's gonna go on the forehead. And then your, your left hand, the first two or three fingers are gonna go right under the bony part of the chin. So not the soft spot, but where the, the mandible, the jawbone is. And you're gonna tilt the head back. Now by doing this, you're opening the airway, not with the head tilt, but by the chin lift. That's what opens the airway. A lot of people get confused because uh, think of basic anatomy. And there was a little podcast I did early on that uh, the tongue is actually inside of your mouth um, and attached to a little bone on the underside of your jaw. And uh, that's what opens up the airway. So people who snore, uh, that's the uh, tongue occluding the airway. That's why people who sleep on their side, the snoring seems to uh, go away or, or not as bad, because that's the tongue. And so to open in the airway, head tilt, chin lift, and then we're, we're gonna look, listen, and feel for breathing. So we need to look, put our ear next to their mouth and look down the chest. Um, and the average adult respirations are 12 to 20 times a minute, so in that five to 10 seconds, they should be breathing at least twice. Um, during that five to 10 seconds, you see the chest rise and fall, you know they're breathing. If you're previously trained on checking for a carotid pulse, by all means do so. Um, the easiest way to find a carotid pulse is you would take the two fingers that were at the jaw, place them on the Adam's apple ever so slightly, uh, not a lot of pressure, on the Adam's apple and just slide your fingers towards your, your side, that side of the neck until you, f you feel a groove and uh, maybe a, a centimeter or so down on the inside from the Adam's apple and you should be able to feel a carotid pulse there. And again, the average pulse rate for an adult is between 60 and 100. Uh, it should feel regular. It should feel fairly strong, and with the breathing and the pulse, you know that the person does have good circulation. And also with the ABCs, we're checking for any life-threatening bleeding. So that would be done by a rapid body survey. Some uh, programs teach hands-on rapid body survey. Some programs teach uh, visual only. A uh, hands-on rapid body survey is just starting at the head no more than 10, 10 to 20 seconds to do a quick rapid body survey. And all that is is checking for any, any signs of life-threatening bleeding. See? Visually, you're going up and down the body with your eyes. You're looking for 
the same thing. You're looking for the pools of blood. And, um, and if seen, you would treat as, as seen it. So on to the secondary. You cannot do a secondary survey until the primary survey has been completed and that there is good airway management and good circulation. Okay? No point in putting on the prettiest bandage for a broken arm if they're dead. So if they're not breathing and don't have a pulse, you can't worry about the broken arm. Okay? Uh, on, so we have a good primary survey. We can go on to the secondary. And the secondary is broken into three parts, whether you're uh, basic or advanced trained. Uh, and the first part is a history. Okay? And I like to think of it as uh, personal space, uh, a customization, because a lot of people who maybe are injured or not feeling well, you, if you start get encroaching in on their personal space right away, they're not going to appreciate that. So we're going to start off from a comfortable distance, asking them some questions. Okay? And then as we gain a little bit of rapport and a little bit of trust and respect, then we can get a little physically closer to them so we can do a hands-on check if need be. All right, so the history uh, sample. Sample is one of my favorite acronyms in first aid, uh, whether it's basic or advanced first aid. It's one of my favorite acronyms. If you've never heard this before, I would encourage uh, you to take a notes if you wish. If you have your first aid book handy, no matter who wrote the book, no matter where you took the source from, if sample is not in your first aid book, then it really should be. So uh, S, signs and symptoms. Uh, basically what happens. A sign is what you see. I see that you are bleeding. That's a sign. A symptom is you tell me you have a headache. A, allergies, and uh, depending on uh, the person's cognitive abilities, you may or may not be able to ascertain this information. That's why when we do a, a sec hands-on secondary survey, we, we look for medical alert bracelets or medical alert tattoos. So allergies. M, medications. This is very important, especially if you have someone who is actively bleeding at the scene. So medications, are you on any medications that I need to be aware of? Uh, we're not trying to ask any embarrassing questions, but as a first aider or advanced first aider, uh, this is very important for those who have bleeding, whether internal or external. Um, are you on any kind of blood thinner? If you're on a blood thinner, for whatever reason, the minor bleeding can go longer than normal because the person's on a blood thinner. Uh, there are different brand names of blood thinners out there. So uh, here in North America, you would hear uh, the medications of Coumadin or Warfarin. Those are very common. Uh, Xeralto, uh, things like that. Uh, most commonly, blood thinners uh, are given for cardiac reasons, so like for atrial fibrillation, but they can be given for other reasons as well. And so this is very important when you get to the medications. Are you on any medication that could slow down your, your clotting factor? Or, or I see you're bleeding. Are you on any medications that I need to be aware of, you know, for treating this wound? Because uh, something as simple as a small cut 
can take several, several minutes or half an hour to stop bleeding because of the blood thinners that they're on. Another, another medication uh, we should really try to find out if they're on, are, are they on any kind of uh, breathing medication like puffers? Or are they on uh, oxygen at the time that they've had an, an, an incident? Because if they're on a, uh, an oxygen through the nose, nasal cannula, if you want to call it, then there could be sign that could be a history of uh, of lung issue, and that's that opens up a whole other uh, process for treatment. Okay. Other medications, cardiac medications, or you want any other heart medications, or you want nitroglycerin, uh, and then you can get into the medical history when we uh, uh, for P for past medical history. So other medications we want to be aware of would be nitroglycerin. Um, are they on any kind of erectile dysfunction medication? So here in North America, the brand names are Cialis or Viagra, whatever uh, the brand names that you're accustomed to hearing in the, your country that you're listening to. Again, those medications are important to be aware of because if the person is also prescribed nitroglycerin, those are very serious contraindications if given within a certain time frame. Okay. Other medications I can think of here that could cause interactions at a first aid, uh, pre-hospital care setting, um, anything to do with uh, psych antipsychotic medications or antidepressant medications that the person is either starting or is weaning off of. Uh, if there's any kind of uh, weaning off of uh, steroids or if the person's on cancer medications, those are very important things to know. You don't need to know specifically the names, but just know that the person that you're treating is on either a steroid or a cancer treatment medication. Could be a, a oral chemo, could be regular chemo through uh, a line, bloodline. Uh, so there's some medications just to keep aware of. So P, past medical history, and this really ties into your medications. Try to find out as much past medical history as you're able to that is relevant to uh, what you're dealing with. And like I tell a lot of, especially nursing students and paramedic students who are taking first aid for the first time, um, the uh, it's important to find what going to hinder them or help them. Okay. So if they're having complaining of chest pain or abdominal pain and they've recently, and recent can be very subjective, could be six months, it could be two years, recently had a heart attack, they've had surgeries, those can all be important pieces of, of information that you need to pass on or maybe you're the one that may uh, could be transporting this person, whether it's through a volunteer uh, fire department or who knows what your role is. Uh, so past medical history. If someone has a broken ankle, probably not a big, unless there's repeated broken ankles from the same side, then yes, there could be complications down the road. But uh, if you're dealing with some an, an older person, let's say, and they're complaining of uh, GI upset, and you go to ask past medical history and you're getting everything from their first child being born in the, in the 30s to uh, um, 
their hysterectomy in 1956. It's probably not that important, but we want to try to find out, have you had whatever you've had recently? Okay, And that's the difference between hearing all the past medical history, which uh, first-year nursing students are subject to, uh, versus what we need to know pre-hospital-wise. If you've, you're having chest pains, have you had any kind of heart conditions recently? Okay, And that recently, you may have to probe them for those questions. So that's past medical history. Last intake and output, uh, or last meal, depending on what books you read. Intake and output is very important because um, whatever we put in our bodies, we digest, our bodies use it. Uh, if, they don't, if our bodies are, don't need it anymore, it's excreted through the urine and through our feces. So um, if someone has not been eating or drinking as normal, then their output's going to be less than normal. But if you're eating and drinking uh, normal and you haven't uh, urinated or used the washroom in several days and this is very abnormal for you, then yes, that could be potentially a problem going on. And this is beyond our scope, our realm as uh, first responders and, and such. Uh, so that's last meal intake and is it normal meal intake okay same goes for the output is that normal e e is events prior what were you doing before uh, the s happened okay so you could say that uh, the e is the uh, prelude to the s okay and that all ties in especially if it's trauma or if it's medical like cardiac related um, another set of questions, and this may or may not be in your book, I know in our advanced courses this is in our book, um, and I like to include this whether you have a basic or advanced first aid. And again, if it's not in your book and you have a pen and paper or a pen in your book, you want to take notes by all means. Uh, O-P-Q-R-S-N-T. Okay. This is very, very um, good way of determining for pain management, or not pain management, sorry, for pain assessment, cardiac assessment, anything like that where this kind of information, uh, again, could be passed on to the responding units, or if you're the responder that's transporting, you can give this information to the emergency department. So the O, onset, when did blank start? We'll just use chest pain as an example. When did this chest pain start? Onset. P, provocation. What did you do that made it worse or better? Okay. So if we're thinking cardiac, shoveling snow or cutting the grass, so you were doing something physical, or you were in an argument with someone and your blood pressure went up. So anything that's putting extra workload on your heart, provocation. Q, quality. And this one you may have to give some examples that you're looking to get an answer for. Uh, again, pain is very subjective, very, very subjective. Quality. So examples would be like dull, sharp, heavy. Uh, those are just some examples. So dull, sharp. Does it hurt when you breathe in? Does it hurt when you breathe out? What does it feel like? Get them to describe it in their own words. Okay. R. Radiating. Does it pain go anywhere? Again, still using the same cardiac uh, example. You can have some people with cardiac events who the chest pain starts in the center of their chest 
and it can move either up to their uh, neck or down an arm or both arms. Some people may not have any of the classic chest pain symptoms, may more have like an indigestion type feeling. Uh, they may have pains in their wrist. They may have pain, uh, pain in their back, their upper back, their mid upper back. So again, uh, not everyone has the classic uh, cardiac chest pain. But I'm just using this as an example for assessment tool. So that's R for radiation, radiating, sorry. Uh, S, severity. So on a scale of one to 10, fair one to 10, one being, or zero, zero being no pain, 10 being the worst pain you as a casualty has ever felt. Uh, so if you want to compare that to either childbirth or passing a kidney stone, both of which are extremely painful. And I've spoke to people who have, who have both had a child and had past kidney stones and the uh, overwhelming consensus was they would rather have a child than pass another kidney stone. So uh, pain uh, of passing a kidney stone is apparently um, right up there. So that's severity, and it's their severity. And T is time. Is this a constant pain? Does it come and go? Can you time it? You know, like uh, for childbirth, we're timing labor at intervals of you know when the when the active labor starts and when the active labor stops. You know, is it a timed pain that only happens at a, a certain uh, like breathing in or breathing out? So that's just some uh, helpful hints on uh, verbal assessment with your casualty or with the caregiver if the casualty is unresponsive. But breathing, that's the key there, but breathing in has a pulse. Okay? Uh, now that's your, like I said at the beginning of the uh, secondary, so you're kind of at a safe spot, you're not really close to your casualty unless you have to be for whatever reason. You're giving them their personal space and again remember everyone's different in this world and so their person everyone's personal space is a little bit different here in north america we uh and specifically canada we're about three feet or a meter that's our safe spot okay that's that's generally how we we like to uh to roll um vital signs now this can be very subjective depending on your training um so if you have training in advanced vital signs, then uh, by all means, uh, like blood pressures and things like that, okay? Um, so vital signs, respirations. And again, we're kind of going back to the respirations, but now we're gonna slow down. We're gonna count the respirations if you're trained to, and, and you would need a watch or uh, some kind of timekeeping device, whether it's a smartphone or a watch. And we're looking for a couple of things here without getting too, too deep. We, haven't, we don't have training in stethoscopes yet, so we're just gonna go with what we can see and what we can hear without a stethoscope. Um, as this pro podcast progresses and I do some more intermediate uh, podcasts, I may go into the basics of lung sound, but we'll see where this takes us. So you're, you're watching your casualty's chest or abdomen rise and fall. That is one respiration, okay? Once you've determined, you can see the person uh, breathing and they're breathing fairly 
normal, meaning it's a regular respiration. So for every breath in and out, there's not a big pause in between, nor is it stacked on top of each other. You're going to have your timekeeping device. Now, as if you're learning this for the first time, I'm going to suggest either count for a full minute or count for 30 seconds and multiply that number times two. I do not recommend, especially first responders and EMRs, uh, where they're new or they're freshly trained, to use anything less than 30 seconds just because uh, skills are still fresh, you're still trying to hone your skills, uh, and we'll keep it very simple that way. Okay? So that's your respirations. Uh, are, there, are there any audible sounds like wheezing? Okay? Is the person complaining of pain when they're breathing in and out? Pain should be effortless and not noisy at all. Okay. Uh, skin color, temperature, and pulse. Okay. We don't have any toys with us. We don't have a, a blood pressure cuff. We don't have a SPO2 meter. You're using your, your brain, your eyes, and your training. Okay. Uh, skin color, temperature, pulse. Skin color and temperature. We're assessing for circulation. We're assessing for uh, if there's trauma on one body part, like an arm or a leg. We're assessing the good side versus the injured side. Now, if they're both injured, well, we're doing the best we can at the moment. So for skin color and temperature, uh, one thing you can do for skin for the skin assessment, you can either do it at this point or you can do it during your hands-on secondary survey, is you can check for uh, dehydration. Now, dehydration, do not get caught up, is different than uh, in a younger person than it would be seen in an older person uh, because the collagen, the elasticity of the skin in an older person is not there as it would be in a younger person. So. Uh, and not to mention the fact that an older person can dehydrate a lot faster than a younger person. Okay? So when I say old versus young, we're going to say, uh, you know, maybe 16 to mid-50s or early 60s would be your average adult uh, for either collagen, replenishment, and whatnot. When you get over 60 or 65, the collagen just doesn't replace. And uh, if you have any training at all in dehydration assessment and you know what a skin chirper is, that's just taking a piece of skin on the back of the hand, uh, pinching it, not pinching it hard, pulling it up, and then releasing it. Okay, That should uh, bounce right back to its normal shape. If it stays in that weird tent position, then that could be a sign of dehydration. That can, that's generally uh, not an early sign. That could be a moderate sign of dehydration. Uh, so that's some of your skin. Color is the person, if they're Caucasian, um, is their skin the same color? Is it blue? Is it red? Is it uh, warm to the touch? Those who have darker skin, uh, if there is lack of oxygen, they might not turn that blue cyanotic color in their fingernail beds or their, their lips or their ears as we would see in uh, most of our Caucasian people. So keep that in mind. Um, 
pulse, a skin color temperature pulse, uh, you've checked for the pulse at the primary setting on the carotid artery and you've determined that there is a carotid pulse. It is present. Um, if the person is conscious, please do not, they, they're not going to appreciate having their neck assessed again. If they're unconscious, that's different. Uh, so a conscious person, we, we would check for the radial pulse. And the radial pulse, for those who do not know, is the pulse that goes, if, you're, if you have your arm uh, face up on a table, that would be your thumb side. So taking your first two fingers, placing it just where the wrist and the lower part of the hand meets, and just don't press hard, just light enough that you can feel the pulse. Once you feel that pulse, you can feel the beat. It should be regular, and it should be fairly easy to feel. So we're not going to get into any, any uh, kind of weird complications other than regular versus irregular. So here's where you would take your, your watch or some kind of a timekeeping device. You would count for 60 seconds if it's irregular. If you feel that there's a pulse, but it's there one minute and the next second it's gone, but then it comes back and it's, it's, you can't keep track of it because it's not a regular pulse. You're going to count for a full minute for someone, anyone with an irregular pulse. Okay? And you're going to note that it, whatever the number is, and you're going to write uh, irregular next to it. And what hand or what arm did you check it with? If the pulse is regular, you can go 30 seconds and multiply that times 2. Again, I'm going back to uh, teaching as a basic or intermediate trained first aider or first responder uh, that has some knowledge in uh, assessment. Okay? So if you only have a one or two day first aid course and you were never taught pulse checks, uh, this is not the place to learn it. Okay? This is a refresher. This is a uh, podcast built on just helping you as a trained first aider to maybe some tips and tricks and guides. Okay? So that is your skin color, temperature, and pulse. So the next thing and the last thing on our secondary survey is our hands-on assessment. Okay? And depending on where you've taken your first aid training, you may have a hands-off assessment. I've seen this done for uh, specifically for a conscious person who's able to tell you that they only have one medical or one injury. Okay, and, and this person would just be a hands-off uh, localized assessment. Okay. My apologies if you can hear my dog in the background. Uh, it's I'm not in one of these sealed boxes as some podcasters are. So, a well, hands-on check with, uh, with someone. So if they're unconscious or unable to tell you what is wrong or they're having more than one complaint or they're confused, we're going to do a hands-on check. And again, this... Uh, hi, yes, to add to our hands-on assessment... And again, this is just common sense that uh, you would be wearing PPE, personal protective equipment, such as gloves, uh, maybe gowns, depending on where you're at, or face mask for uh, COVID precautions. 
just uh, whatever your local protocols are. Um, so with a hands-on assessment, we're going to start at the top of the head and we're going to look, we're going to touch each part of the body with our gloved hands. Uh, we're, so once we do the head and the neck, we're looking at our gloves. We're also referring back to our casualties face for any signs of grimacing. We are looking in each ear. Uh, you as the responder are going to look in each ear. You're not going to turn the casualties head. Now, if they're conscious and able to turn, by all means, and there's no uh, chance of a neck injury, by all means. We're going to look at the front of the neck. You can see the Adam's apple there. You, you, you look at that. You do a visual check. Um, it doesn't look to be out of place. You don't see any signs of a stoma. That's a hole. Uh, that would have already been noticed right away on your primary assessment. You don't see any uh, medical necklace. Go down, we're going to place our hands on or near the clavicle, that's your collarbone. Push lightly to feel for any signs of bone stability and any uh, discomfort by the casualty. Uh, next, we're going to go down the chest and as we are all professionals, we're going to place each hand on either side of the rib cage. So just on the side, you're not going on top of the chest. That way it's all professional and it doesn't look like any inappropriate touching by you as a responder. And you're gonna hold your hands on the, on the sides there for just a few moments while they take a breath in and out. And what you're doing here is you're checking for equal expansive uh, respirations. Okay? So both sides are equally expanding and uh, going from there. We're going to go to the abdomen and we're going to place one uh, hand over the other just at the fingers and you're going to lightly press uh, pretending that the belly button is like the middle and we're going to make the cut we're going to do a visual uh, cut of the abdomen starting at the uh, belly button the navel is being uh, half there across half up and down so that it turns into four quadrants base, basically okay so we're going to lightly touch each four quadrant uh, we're checking for rigidity so it could be a sign of internal bleeding we're also looking at the person's face at the same time we're checking our gloves as well uh, for any signs of blood if during your uh, hands-on check you note that there's facial grimacing or something does not uh, feel right, like abdominals feel really uh, tight or, or hard, like a table, uh, you need to expose to see what's going on. Treat if it's possible to treat it. Next we're going to go check the legs, um, and this is another one where hand placement is important for uh, professionals. Uh, starting at, I'm gonna, again I'm going to be on the left side of my casualty, so I'm going to have my right hand on the outside of their uh, upper thigh, so near the greater trochanter, if you know where that is. And then my other hand, my left hand, is going to be just above the inside of the knee, so the lower part of the femur. And I'm going to just push firmly, checking for bone stability. You're not pushing to break the bone, but you're checking to make sure the bone is not broken or any signs of grimacing. And then we'll, we'll just take our hands in that position and just work our our way down the legs doing a bone check 
uh, stability as well in paint you're also checking for pain if at any time you feel something give or the person starts to cry out in pain stop what you're doing uh, assess the area and see if there's something needs to be treated right away when we get down to the ankles and feet this is going to be your local protocol whether or not you remove shoes or socks uh, again weather is very dependent on this assessment checking again for foot and ankle stability if the person is awake you can ask them if they can uh, feel you pinch their toes or can they move their toes or anything like that then we're going to go walk around your casualty do not walk do not walk over your casualty last thing you walk over you could fall they could they could kick you so you walk around walk around your casualty that's the biggest uh, thing I tell all of my classes it's the safest thing to do you're going to start this uh, same assessment on the other leg okay we always do legs first and then we do arms same assessment with that other leg and since we're at that uh, opposite side once we finish the leg we'll go to the arm same assessment technique on the arm as as the leg starting at the top of the arm you're going to do uh, upper bone assessment for that humerus you're going to do a lower bone assessment for the radius and ulna when you get to the wrist, you're looking for a medical alert bracelet or a medical alert tattoo. Very common to see medical alert tattoos. Um, and go back around to your first side, your original side, do the same thing for that arm. And you can also check if, there's, if they are conscious and alert, you can ask them to squeeze your hands. And this is going to give you a, an opportunity to assess their motor skills. Uh, you can do the same at their feet when you're at the bottom of their feet you can ask them to push down on your hands with your hands on the on their bottoms of their feet or um, place your hands on the top part of their feet and have them pull up and that just checks for it does a couple of different things without getting too bogged down you're, you're doing a quick uh, neuromuscular assessment and if there is any thought of a stroke or a TIA uh, you're also doing a check for, you know, that's also assessment for their, you know, neuromuscular assessment. So depending on your level of training, if the person is in respiratory distress, if you have oxygen and you are trained to give oxygen, you would give oxygen right away uh, during your primary assessment. Um, if you're not trained and you're just waiting for EMS, if the position, if the person is conscious and able to maintain their own airway, uh, it's position of comfort. If the person is unresponsive and they are breathing and have a pulse, we're going to recommend you put them in a recovery position if they do not have a suspected head or spinal injury. And again, this is protocol based on your training, your jurisdiction. Okay. All right, well, this wraps up um, a little refresher on primary and secondary survey. I thank you very, very much, and I'm hoping to have another podcast sooner rather than later. Stay safe and stay hydrated.